0: This episode, we're going to talk about prepping. I have approached this subject before on a few little things like the bugging out. I did talk about prepping. I talked about how I use money, some of the ways I got into it, and we've received questions and other general questions I've seen as well as a comment I believe I mentioned previously. I'll have to check. If I didn't, I will definitely find the individual and quote them that was happy to see some of the prepping topics we talked on that aren't subjects typically they found in other places. So I want to highlight a few areas I think might help you out for those that are getting into the prepping world, or maybe you're already there. I think if we've learned anything in the last 18 months, that there's a certain amount of preparation for unforeseen events that probably are a good idea. So prepping in general, a few tips and tricks and things you may not have heard somewhere else right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. <laughs> I've talked before about prepping and mentioned that knowledge is power, about how there was a class I wanted to take once where if you went through all the training available, the idea was with a good knife, you could just walk off in the woods and survive if you had the knowledge. Realistically, if you want to make a goal for prepping, I would suggest making a goal that you could survive a situation and thrive based on knowledge alone if you lost everything. Now, that seems lofty, but it's so that you can start to acquire the skills and knowledge you need. And I have mentioned before, the first step to prepping is a library, books. Now, there's a lot of books out there. I could recommend them all day long. But one of the things about prepping isn't about just having the extra items for those situations, short or long term, where we might need them because there's a run on supplies. Things are short. Because of things like a pandemic, we lose our income and we need those extra Foods and materials and things just to live our everyday lives. That's a good thing and you need to be prepared for that. But something else to look at is how to use what you have to get by when you don't have something else. There's all kinds of videos out there where people show tips and tricks and things they didn't know things were designed for or how they created things. For example, how you could take a two liter soda bottle and the way you could cut it out, you could make a ladle or a spoon. Simple things like that. Or things we don't know what they existed for like on that soda or beer can if you flip the tab around that extra opening in there is actually meant for a straw was its original design there's tons of websites and things out there that information and i would definitely look at items and ideas that are based around two things one is trash like a two liter bottle things we would typically throw away that we can get creative with and don't ignore crafting channels look at places that do crafting usually it's women, not always women, but they do at-home crafting projects. See how they're refurbishing things, not just for furniture, just to be creative. And that can give you a lot of ideas. Going back to that tab on your soda or beer can, you can use that to take either a small nail or a small screw or something else and turn it into a picture hanger. Okay, maybe you don't need a picture hanger in a prepping situation, but there's many ways to use objects. The other way to look at it is how do we use some very common supplies we might need in multiple ways. For example, WD-40 has unlimited uses, so does duct tape. There's plenty of prepping channels and books out there that explain different ways to use WD-40 and duct tape, as well as other common tools and supplies most people have around their home. So you can find those very easily, and those are worth taking note of. And what I would suggest is, unless you're somebody who's gonna put into practice right away, or you're already naturally a creative and crafty person who tends to remember those things, just get yourself a notebook and make some simple notes on how to do something. Now it's great if you can also take those videos and download them, you know, trim them up to the portions that you need and put them in some sort of external hard drive or SD card so that in the event there's no electricity but maybe you have a power source or a way to charge your phone, you can watch videos in case you need them to learn how to use these different skills. But don't negate having notes, having handwritten notes somewhere in a notebook that you can use. And also, most importantly, Make sure you practice and try these things out just so you can aware of how they work. The idea of even just putting your hands on something and following through with creating something can help you retain that information in your memory. So just watching a cool video for 10 minutes where they show you 25 things you can do with WD-40 doesn't mean you're going to remember 25. If you're not using it all the time, you'd be hard-pressed to remember five. So trying a couple of them out or making some notes or even download a video could be something that helps you out. Something else to think about is how we store the items that we keep around that are extra. Some people keep certain amount of extra items no matter what. I know people who live in states where weather comes in, snow. They got to drive snowmobiles they can't get around. You know, it's hard to get to places to get supplies. So they have extra supplies every year just for the wintertime. Things to think about. What we saw on the news, this isn't the only product, but on the news we saw people buying, you know, all these crazy amounts of toilet paper. The thing is that's a realistic need. So when you're storing items, thinking about toilet paper or items similar to toilet paper that can be damaged by one weather. Weather or any sort of damage by water could destroy that and make it unusable. So of course you wanna keep it in that dry place, you know, elevated off the ground, that's important. But another thing you need to think about if you have the storage space is keeping it indoors or somewhat indoors that you can control and not a garage, here's why. Bugs love paper and so do rodents and rats. And those things tend to come around based on the type of environment or neighborhood we're in, also based on how clean we can keep our house. No matter how clean you keep your house, if you don't have stuff around to keep things clean and you don't have pest control, because one of the things you should be doing is keeping pest control items, common bug sprays, roach traps, mouse traps, just to protect the supplies you have. One of the things we can do with things like toilet paper that bugs or moths or any other insect can get into and potentially destroy is simply take that bag, because remember, when you buy it from a store, do you feel like you could submerge that in a pool at all, let alone an hour? I think then you know that because you can't do that, bugs can get in it. So a simple thing to do would be to take those extra large packages of toilet paper, paper towels, or any other item that could be damaged or destroyed by bugs or insects. Take good trash bags, maybe not those ones that you throw your trash out in. Maybe you want to buy a thicker one wrap them up in that if you're using regular trash bags it's fine do a double wrap you know throw it in one bag tie that bag off turn it around to where the tie off is now going to be in the bottom in the next bag tie it off and then store it somewhere even in a box if you can provide extra layers of security to minimize the chances of rodents and insects getting in there is a foolproof no but one of the things that does for you is give you extra items People don't think about their trash and how to get rid of it. There are places where people live where it's very easy to take your trash to the dump or maybe burn it yourself, but we aren't all going to have that capability. So having extra trash bags is a good thing. And if you're using it to store and protect items, those are actually more trash bags that you have around that you may very well need. So keep that in mind. Everything has a dual purpose. In many cases, 20 or 30 of them. One of the hot weather tips I give people, and I thought about this yesterday just because it's been so hot down here that I told you about. I didn't know this until I was in the Army. I never thought about it either, but if you get water bottles, plastic water bottles from the store, you can freeze those and they won't explode. Nothing happens to them. They just freeze. I learned that in the Middle East because we all had massive chest freezers or more than one chest freezer. And the water we were given in the Middle East came in on pallets on truckloads and they would just drop pallets all over your fob and then you could go get the water. And if you were smart, you'd have everybody clean it out as soon as possible so it didn't cook in the sun for days and become contaminated. The bottles they gave us were pretty big. I think they were, they weren't two liters. I think they were a liter and a half. We would put those in the freezers and freeze them solid because in the hot weather, they would thaw pretty quickly. Plus regular ice was hard to get, very difficult. So we had igloo coolers. And we would throw them packed full of these frozen water bottles. And if we had anything else we need to keep cool, we'd put it in there too. So saying that, one of the things to do that gives you extra water, it can help you a little bit on your electric bill. It's possible depending on the size and energy that any type of freezer is using, whether chest or fridge-freezer combo, is if you put water bottles in there to eat up the space you're not using, your freezer is going to run more efficiently because it's less air it needs to cool. If you were to lose power, you essentially have a cooler, a cooler packed full of ice to keep those frozen items longer. If you have a lot of bottles and you can sacrifice some of them, you can then take a cooler or just your refrigerator and you can use those frozen water bottles as a frozen ice source to help keep those other fruits and vegetables and meats that are are not frozen to last longer. Just make sure you do learn, and if you have to make a chart for your fridge, when the power goes out how long those items are really going to be good for and how to tell if they're good or bad so that you're not throwing away things that are okay to eat not eating things that'll make you sick something else to learn about is that expiration dates are important on some items and not on another so for example with canned foods if they're kept in a cool dry place and the cans are not deformed and there's no damage caused to them properly stored they can be good and hold nutritional value for a year to do past their expiration date, depending on the food. There's a few foods that are only good for about six months. For most of them, once you start crossing the two, three year mark, you can eat them and live off of them, but they lose a lot of their nutritional value. That's something you should look up and based on the foods that you buy or will be buying in canned foods, that you document that and have that written down. So you know not only that there is a little bit of difference in how long they last based on the food that's in there, you can also track You know, this can of whatever we'll say is good for up to two years, but it loses its nutritional value after a year. So you can properly rotate your food and eat them when you need to, to get the best amount of not just calories, but nutrition out of them as possible. Another thing to look into is common household meds. A lot of people keep common household meds, you know, anti-inflammatories, anti-diarrheals, cough medicines, cold medicines, painkillers, all these types of things. They do have a shelf life and a lifespan, so you need to learn about each specific one. And if it's something like, say, a vitamin that can come in a caplet or a capsule, which are different, one's the the little hard thing like a candy that don't taste good, and the other one's the soft, squishy one with liquids, they all have different lifespans, shelf life, expiration dates, and how good they are. Same thing with like a multivitamin. Multivitamins can be great in a long-term situation when you're scraping by trying to get good nutritional sources and you're not sure which vitamin and minerals you need. But for some of us we know exactly which vitamins and minerals we need based on the diets we have now so we get extras of those make sure you know exactly what you have and how long they're good for just as true with prescription meds as it is with over the counter medications speaking of that i know people that keep bleach bleach is not a bad thing to store there's things you can do with bleach it can be used especially in high concentrations to clean and sanitize the area where there was say blood or anything that you want to kill off to make sure people don't get sick that can be a good thing you can clean with it obviously we can You know, make our white clothes whiter. There's a lot of things we can do with bleach, even purify water. But what most people don't know is the shelf life on bleach usually doesn't go past six months. So if you're a person that stores a lot of bleach or you don't clean your whites that much and you realize sometimes you just don't, you think something's wrong with your machine or your soap because your whites aren't getting that white, it's probably because your bleach is really old. So something else you can do better than that is sodium hypochlorite. That's what's used in chlorine mixes and powders for swimming pools. Now, a lot of books are going to tell you just get pool shock it's a powdered granular stuff in a bag that people like me use in our swimming pools partially true pool shock comes in different quantities and grades so for example there is professional grade pool shock sodium hypochlorite chlorine liquid chlorine tablets you get from pool supply stores that are better concentrations than most regular over-the-counter stuff at walmart and it takes a lot of experience or time experimenting to realize there are ones that are better the other thing is when you buy powdered bags of pool shock, sometimes they'll say 4-in-1, 5-in-1, 7-in-1. It's because they have extra stuff in there and some of that stuff is bad for you. So if you want to go that route and you're thinking, why should I go that route before we get there? You can buy just powdered sodium hypochlorite with no other additives into it. You have to look for it, probably order online. It's completely legal and it's better for you. Here's what you do with it. You need to look it up because off the top of my head, because again, notes, I have this written down. It's not something I keep in my head. It's something along the lines of, so again, look this up, something along the lines of like two rounded tablespoons of sodium hypochlorite mixes with a few gallons of water. It's not like one gallon, it's like two gallons or four gallons. It's somewhere along those lines. What that does is create bleach. Now, in one way, depending on how often you're using Clorox or bleach at home, maybe you could save a little money that way. But what that does for you is allow you to create bleach, which means you need containers you can store that in you're not using water for so if you actually have bleach you're going to use bleach in the future just when you're done with that one gallon jug just rinse it out leave the cap off let it dry out and then you could use that in the future you could take powdered hypochlorite and water you could make bleach stored in those jugs and then what you can do with that bleach because you know it's fresh and it's good is you can use that to purify water if you need to now there's better methods to purifying water but that is still way better than what most people do And the other thing, too, is you can layer your methods. You know, you can take water out of a lake or stream that might have some floating stuff or dirt in it. That's normal that you strain through a cheesecloth or, say, a T-shirt if you have it, something just to strain it out. Then you, let's say you have a good water fill system with, like, activated charcoal that pretty much takes care of everything. Then you got, like, two layers. You could also boil it and throw that in there. Just to give yourself more protection, there's things you can do there. But bleach does work. For water. It can make it safe to drink, but what it doesn't necessarily do is kill or remove all other forms of things like bacteria, it's not all of them. So you need to learn about that as well. But just understand there's plenty of things out there people don't typically hear about that are very easy to do, like using sodium hypochloride to make bleach. So you have bleach to use to clean water or to do other things with, or maybe just to save money on what you're spending for all those clothes. So, your family got a lot of kids, you're doing a lot of clothes every week, spending a lot of money on bleach. I would at least look into the powders, see how much they cost, find out what the measurements are to make that bleach, and then maybe try it out and see if it works for you. Maybe save a few bucks. That might be good for you. Going back to learning all the little crazy things we can do with stuff we don't think about, there's books out there on that that are types of survival or prepping books that focus greatly on getting started in prepping. Some of them, have a lot of pictures and look for those the ones that have you know a cover it's glossy it's got photos of like 20 different weird things you flip through the book they got pictures in there and they give you basic intros to different subjects about tools and how to use money and how to filter water and foods you should have on hand and they show you things and some of them will even say in there hey here's some ways you can use this item at least get one book like that so you have something on hand it shows you different ways you can use things there's plenty out there and look in places you don't normally think about A lot of stores like Sportsman's Warehouse or equivalents that are like sporting goods stores or like modern retail equipments of what outfitters used to be have books like that as well as places like tractor supply or livestock feed stores that provide stuff for animals and livestock and farms often have a section, even just a rotating thing that has books on there on all kinds of subjects you might need on a farm. Look in there because a lot of times I've seen books like that floating around in there. And then when you're buying books in person, one of the things I do is you probably know your tax rate or can estimate it depending on where you live. Just take a look at what the price is. Hit up your Amazon or wherever you buy books online and take a look and see if it's on sale or if you're a Prime member, you can look online and go, oh, it's $16 and I have free shipping and this book is, you know, $15.95. I'll save more by ordering it or this book's $14. I got to pay tax, but that's going to be less than my 16 bucks. Think through it a little bit. When you're checking stuff out because those little pennies can add up especially if you're on a budget and if your budget has money in there for doing something along these lines every little bit you save is more money you can put somewhere else another thing is that people often try to take too much on too soon it's different when you grew up in a situation where you were more self-reliant more resilient say growing up on a farm with a large family and you learned a lot of things most people don't know versus somebody that grew up in the city In an apartment their whole life they didn't have to worry about a lot of things and they don't have a lot of this knowledge either one of those people or any variation of them tends to try to want to learn everything so make a plan on the things you want to learn and start with very simple basics figure out enough to get yourself going if you say you're going to have a garden to just grow a few things maybe a few herbs and maybe try one or two vegetables just to see if you can do it don't spend a lot of money and get crazy if you don't know how to do it and while you're working on that Then at other times you can work on another skill. Don't try to take too many things on. One of the things that's big in the prepping community people talk about is when it comes to these situations, no matter who you are, is getting communities together, groups of people to work together. There will be people that have a lot of general knowledge, but most people have some sort of expertise in some areas. Some of those areas may not or may appear not to have as much value as others, but it's a mistake to think that you can learn everything or that somebody else does know everything. So another thing to look at is not only just where your interests are and what you're excited about learning, but what other things do you already know that directly or indirectly contribute to some new skill you want to learn and make sure you continue working on that so you can grow that area. Perhaps you come out of it with, I have a good general knowledge where I could help out somebody that knows better on not getting a garden started. I could help out a little bit, but I'm not an expert there, but I'm an expert in this area and this area could be more beneficial to a group of people. That way you can start helping each other out or work together on different things or pack barter and trade skills in order to get by. Because it doesn't have to be an end of the world apocalyptic event. For some people, it probably felt like the apocalypse and maybe still does over the last year and a half, just because they're out of work, you can't go anywhere, supplies are short, you don't have the money to buy stuff, you know, beg, borrow, steal, talking to people, trying to work together. Think about all the things that didn't go well that either affected you directly or you know somebody or even heard about it and figure out what's a good plan, how I can prepare for this in the future to help other people out so we can trade information, trade supplies, trade skills, work together, live longer together, thrive and share. That might be a better way to go. One of the things people kind of oversimplify, I think, in the prepping world is food and water. They oversimplify it because they'll either get so simple as to say, how much food you should have without really saying how much food you should have or trying to tell you what type of food is better. There are general things about that, but for somebody to say, start with getting two weeks of food and water. Well, okay. Do you even know what two weeks of food is? Could you write it down right now? So first you need to learn that something else that needs to be considered though. And I don't think too many people think about this, especially if you're looking at the potential for something long-term and for many people out there, this last year and a half was a long-term almost survival situation when it came to food and water. Something to have on hand if you don't already is a scale, as in a person steps on it and you weigh them. The reason why is when you're getting into rationing or you're getting into a situation where you have to start using more of the extra supplies that you don't normally use. So you have a good amount of food you eat all the time, but you have extra stuff. You know, you got bags of, say, beans and rice, pancake mix. You use it every once in a while, but it's not a main staple in your diet. But now it looks like that probably could be a main staple in my diet. There's going to be changes on our body and how it reacts. One of the things to do is to start weighing people in every week as long as you can eat regularly. When you have to start skipping meals or start skipping days, you need to start weighing weighing them a few times a week, maybe even every day. You need to monitor those changes in weight loss and weight gain and learn about, you'll have to do your research, learn about nutrition and looking at whether somebody's male, whether they're female, whether they're a child, whether they're an infant, whether they're a growing teenager, whether they're adult, Whether they're menstruating, whether they're pregnant, whether they're sick, what types of medications they're on. This takes a lot of effort, but it makes it to where you don't just say, well, everybody gets 200 calories today. You're weighing people, you know, as much about them as you can, their physical condition, what they're taking, what injuries they have, all this type of information. So you can balance out, track, and document exactly how many calories they need if you have the calories to give them, what types of nutrition they're going to need, when they're going to need a bump in their diet based on their physical health or how they're growing versus when. You could afford to cut back a little bit. Part of the reason to do this, too, is one thing you see in movies, again, talking about movies, you see these situation where you see these parents will do anything to help their kids, which is a good thing, to the point where they starve or kill themselves to try to make sure their kids can eat. Or they even kind of show that in a situation where a lot of them, sometimes just a single mom raising two kids, trying to work, trying to get by, and just the things they have to do to try to feed their children. But it's trying to learn all this stuff and track it so you get a better idea how to use your food more wisely and to make sure that if, like in these movies, a situation where we got mom out there doing everything she can to feed her kids, that she is still finding ways to get food in her body so she has the energy to go and continue doing what she's doing in order to feed her children. This is why I say they oversimplify it. Nobody really talks about this. Nobody discusses nutrition. Nutrition is highly, highly important when it comes to, you should be doing this anyway, we'll start there, but if it came down to a long-term situation or to where you had to use backup food that's not a regular part of your diet, you need to understand how that's gonna work in your body. You know, certain foods, we know there's certain foods out there that high calorie, don't have a lot of volume. And certain foods out there you can get a lot of volume out of it in your stomach, doesn't have a lot of calories. Pros and cons to both. Understand that, learn it, learn how nutrition works, learn how it's going to affect you and those in your immediate family or that you're likely to be with so that you can monitor that better and make sure you're using it to your advantage to keep everybody healthy. One of the things, too, I forgot to mention earlier when making essentially your own bleach or if you're using any type of chlorine because you can filter water with that or use it to sanitize water, not filter it. If you're going to go that route, and especially if you're going to use sodium hypochlorite, no matter which way you're using it, one of the things to do is make sure you get test strips for a swimming pool or hot tub, and you learn how to use them. Just simple ones that tell you how many parts per million are really in there. I want to say it's two parts parts per million. I'm not sure. You'd have to look this up. Again, I have it written down in a book, but there is a proper measurement to use to where you can make that water safe to drink, and you're not putting too much of anything in your body that's going to make you sick. Reason why this is important. One of the things I think about, especially the power goes out here, is the first thing I think about my swimming pool, and I try to keep my swimming pool topped off, especially in the summer. Swimming pools definitely have a lot more chlorine in them than for what we use to swim in them than what we would use to drink. But it's so that especially if you have large sources of water somewhere, especially if you're serving long-term, or even if you have a swimming pool or a hot tub, that you can think about things like if I needed water right now, and let's say my water was running, Right? but I knew it was gonna probably shut off. I would fill up my swimming pool as high as I could go. And then one of the things you could do is if you could find another water source that you could mix in, you could take water from your swimming pool. Let's say you have a five gallon water jug. You could take say a gallon out of there and you could test it. And let's say the chlorine concentration is too high. Then you can take this other water you found from another source and mix it in, test it until you get to that balance of water that's drinkable plus being mixed in there you've now sanitized that water and make it safer for you. Or perhaps you just don't have water, but you have a large water source that's already chlorinated, like say a swimming pool again, but then the rain comes and then you harvest some of that rainwater, but you need to drink it and you have no other filtration system. You can then start mixing that water together in small amounts and testing it until you reach that point to where you kind of get a good idea of how much to mix every time and you just keep testing it and then you have usable water. The other thing to learn too that people don't tell you about water is there's a difference between potable and non-potable water meaning this potable water is water we put in our mouth and drink non-potable water you shouldn't drink it but it is safe to use for cleaning including your body sure you'll probably get a little bit of your mouth it's not like it's going to kill you hopefully not but you can figure out the differences and learn about the difference between what makes water non-potable safe to use to clean my body versus what i need to do to that water to drink it so that the supplies you have to make water drinkable will last longer so that you don't try to make every drop of water drinkable if you're going to use large portions of it to say clean your body now if you're wondering how does this apply to the whole gray man concept or any of that type of stuff i thought about doing this again because i i went i told you guys before i go through and i just pull up gray man stuff and find more and more people just recently more and more people writing articles that are uh, taken from this show. There's people listening to this somewhere right now that are gonna write an article on a website. And as much as it's plagiarism, I think the part that bothers me isn't that they take it, it's that they, for you might as well just do a transcription, and would be better for you. Cause a lot of that stuff is just, it's incomplete or incorrect or they misunderstood, but it's very clearly from the show. So just, if you're gonna rip it off, do better. That's all I ask. Make the information usable. That's the whole reason I do it. So make the information usable. Don't try to rewrite it yourself if you can't get it figured out. You know, take the cuss and the ifs, the ands, the ums out that wouldn't be in written writing and turn it into something good. But part of the reason I'm doing this is because when I was going through these articles, I found one that said, well, actually it was on a YouTube video, I think. Everybody's trying to explain what the gray man was. And several people were saying a gray man's prepared for anything. They're prepared for everything. It's like, no, they're not. That is not what it is. A gray man, whether it's you want to put it over into your everyday life or the professional gray man in espionage, they're trained, number one, to react. That's what we're trained to do. Now, we have a lot of knowledge and information, a lot of general knowledge on a lot of subjects. That is very true. There's a lot of subjects we don't know nothing about, and you can't be prepared for everything, but you can be prepared to react and plan. Now, that can help you be more prepared for more things, but you're not going to be prepared for everything. But we are prepared to react. Think of it this way. People say a lot of times, well, you know, you just got to be, you know, opportunity comes knocking. You don't wait for opportunity to knock. Here's why. If you're not prepared for the opportunity, it'll knock and go away and you'll never get it. What you want to be prepared for is when opportunity comes so you can react appropriately. So Grayman aren't prepared for everything what they prepare for is to react to situations and mediate deal mitigate figure it out plan etc that's more what it's about it's about getting as much knowledge and when you can't keep all that knowledge you have the reference material you have people you can work with ways you can work together ways to get more information that's what it's about especially when it comes to this subject so if it motivates you to say i'm going to be a gray man and i'm going to be prepared for everything that's great if that motivates you but don't take it beyond motivation to this fantasy world that you can be prepared for everything you can't but you can be prepared to react and think there's all kinds of people that are prepared for all kinds of situations have nothing to do with prepping they could just be prepared for whether or not they lose their job because they got three months of money saved up but that doesn't mean if they lose their job they're prepared to react to get a new job there's plenty of people that have money for it when the employment goes away and then they use that money and they're still not working because they don't know how to look for a job you know it's a very simple process but people don't do it i've known all kinds of people there but i sent out five or six resumes this week it's like how picky are you being you know how many hours a day you think you're gonna work i'll probably eight to ten why aren't you putting eight to ten hours a day and trying to find a job people that do that tend to find the job quicker not a knock on you if you don't have a job i'm just using that example The person that was prepared to lose their job was not prepared to get a job. What I'm saying is you need to be prepared for when the job goes away, how do I get another job? That's the same thing with this concept. You can't be prepared for everything, but you can put plans in place. You can be prepared to react, to do things, to learn what you need to do, to get back to where you were, to take the follow-on steps, to make the next decisions and movements in order for whatever your situation is to improve. Another thing, and I've mentioned this before typically around medical training, but don't skip professional training. The thing to look at is money only goes so far, and I get that for most people. Figuring out the general subjects you want to learn, what things realistically can you learn on your own from other people's, but what things do you really think you would need professional training on? I mean, there's people that have been in the military that have taken CLS courses and even the newer CLS, which is a little better, Perhaps they were medics in the military. They probably don't need to take professional medical training or somebody else has never done anything with medicine or been sick a day in their life. That's where they might need to put their money. So it's deciding that there's all these things we can learn, prepping or not. I'm just talking about prepping today. Pretty much anything you can learn, you can pay to do. There's somebody that can teach you. Some good teachers, some are bad. You got to figure that out yourself. But figure out if you're going to be able to pay for training what is your highest priority in the category of things that if money was not an object you would pay? So you're like, well, money wasn't an object. Here's the three things I'd definitely pay to get trained on. Great. Now prioritize those, find the training and figure out what you got to do to start knocking those out because that frees you up to focus on other areas. Because when we recognize we need professional training and coaching in a certain area, what we are telling ourselves is that we recognize we're not able to probably learn that proficiently on our own. Therefore, we need to bring the pros in. So then if that's your plan and you're putting money aside to get that professional training, until you get it, don't try to focus your time and energy on it. If it doesn't make sense, focus it somewhere else, something you can learn on your own. And do that on whatever subject it is. I just push medical for two reasons. One, most people don't get any training, let alone near enough. And two, a lot of training or knowledge people have is from things that are very old that are no longer accurate or have been updated. And the things that seem to make sense a long time ago are actually more dangerous now, like the proper placement of a tourniquet. How I was taught to do that 20 years ago is not how I'm taught to do it now. And there's reasons a the way it's done now makes more sense. And it's because of what we learned in battlefields and combat. So that's why I harp on medical training. But this could be for any subject. You know, if you're a hunter, a casual shooter, you want to learn more about firearms, you got buddies and they're in the military, they were cops and you guys go shooting together. You probably don't need to pay for professional training if you've got resources like that available that can teach you a few things. Maybe you need to put it somewhere else where you don't have those. I've known guys that have had friends that were doctors and nurses and then put a dime in medical training because they went to them. One guy I knew where I used to live His three closest friends were a doctor, a nurse, and a paramedic, and they taught him all kinds of stuff. And part of it was because like, the doctor was a resident, and he was studying for stuff with the paramedic, and then the nurse come and hung over because she was dating one of them, taught him all kinds of stuff. He didn't put a dime into medical training, but he put his money into firearms training through NRA courses because he wanted to learn that, and he didn't know anybody that did it. He knew me, and just I didn't know him very well. Now, if you're interested in that and it's been a while or you don't remember listening to it, probably, I don't know, 20 episodes back or something, I have one called How to Find the Best Training Experience about how to kind of evaluate professional instructors and trainers and to identify the place you want to go and learn, it's things to think about when you're doing your search. If you're getting into the point where you're gonna start putting money out for professional instructors and it's because it's something you wanna learn and you are honest enough with yourself to say, I don't know a lot about this subject, Then you should be just as honest and say, then I therefore don't necessarily know how to find somebody that really knows what they're doing because it's all going to seem new to me. So go listen to that podcast and take those ideas. And when you're going through and looking or even interviewing, if you're going that far, figuring out where am I going to get the training I need and require and who's going to give it to me that's going to make the most sense so that I'm not wasting $100 or $500 or whatever you're paying. One thing too that I don't think is talked about enough is distractions. I remember when I was a kid, like snow would come and we'd lose power for a week and we'd use the camp stove and cook food. And I kind of liked it because I liked camping, but we're at the house, but it's like, oh, cool. We're cooking on the camp stove and oh, we're using lanterns. It was like this adventure to me. But what I remember were the amount of distractions. I was very young, most of the time this happened. I didn't watch a lot of TV, if I did, I watched because my parents were watching. I played in my room by myself a lot. I'd go outside, I'd do a lot of these things, but like in winter I wouldn't go outside for very long because I was a small kid, you know. You'd frostbite yourself as a child because you don't know any better. But I remember during these times when the lights were off playing more games with my mom and my, my brother and my sister. We had more distractions. You know, or or sometimes my mom might pull out a coloring book that I'd never seen before. We need distractions, but definitely children need distractions. So make sure that you incorporate distractions into your plan. So for example, let's say you like to do those puzzle books they sell in the bookstores, but you don't do them that much anymore, but you know it's something you enjoyed. Pick a couple of those up and stick them on a shelf somewhere. If you've got kids, you know, maybe take a game they don't like, or let's say they love playing Monopoly. You go buy a Monopoly that's a Monopoly based on whatever, Star Wars or something. You stick it on a shelf so you can bring out this special prize. When the power goes out or when you're in that situation, you can't go anywhere because of the weather. Or maybe it's something more long-term. You know, books. Are there books you would enjoy that you're probably not going to read right now? Not to mention your old prepping library that you can read. You know What other distractions are there? Are books for kids, coloring books, crayons, markers? things that you know people would enjoy you could show them how to enjoy regardless of their age but it's not something you necessarily incorporate regularly into your life stick those away somewhere so when the time comes and all of a sudden the power's out because power's out there's no tv no internet no snapchat everybody's losing their minds you might have to force them all to sit down and play monopoly together but the thing is It'll be a distraction. It'll get their minds off the things that are terrible or they think are terrible, and they'll get to have a little fun and interact and socialize. Same thing with outside stuff. Maybe the weather's good, but there's a different reason something's going on. You know, outdoor games, whether it's hide and seek, lawn darts, whatever. There's all kinds of things. You know, lawn darts, I don't even know how many people on here listen don't even know what lawn darts are. When I was a kid, we'd throw those up in the air and see how close they'd land on our face before we could jump out of the way. That's how suicidal we are. In my day, it was, you know, we'll just see how it works out. And those that survive, great, you know. You know, mom would send us outside and lock the door and say, drink out of the hose. And the kids that didn't make it, they'd probably end up on a milk carton. But that's how we, uh, you know, survival the fittest. So maybe incorporate some of that. That was just a joke. I don't think anybody ended up on a milk carton. Maybe they did. It wasn't me. But figure out the things you need and what can be distractions that would be positive, entertaining things or things to keep your mind busy. Even books and activities that were related to education and learning. Anything you can do like that will be helpful to you and anybody else, especially when it goes on. I mean, honestly, if you've got kids, you probably realize how crazy this can get. You might need it immediately. But for some of us, maybe like me, living alone, I would need the distraction probably in a couple of weeks. Probably wouldn't affect me too much, whereas if I had kids or other people around, I would want to have some distractions. And make sure, too, if you're a family that uses something all the time, you have extra. So, for example, decks of cards are cheap. You can buy them in bulk now. I've got decks of cards and boxes that were sent to me when I was overseas. If you played a lot of cards with your family and friends or play every week, make sure you got about 10 of those lying around so you got, (laughs) once they're getting pretty worn out or getting unusable, you still have another deck of cards because then you'll just be pissed when you run out of cards. So... Make sure you got the things you need and that they're going to last and they're going to be a good distraction for you. Whether you have one or a hundred, have a cookbook. So many out there. Look for cookbooks that, if you're just getting started, look for cookbooks to learn how to make things using materials you have on hand or you know you're going to keep on hand. And see if you can find ones that don't incorporate using appliances. Like if you have uh, Instapot like I do, you can get you know, those cool recipe books on here's how you do everything in an Instapot. And that's awesome. But assume you don't have power, make the assumption power is not an option. You know, maybe you have another source, like a campfire heating stove. I mean, if you want the Instapot book, get it great. Learn how to cook, but have ones to show you how to do things, simple meals, how to walk through based on the stuff you have. And you can look through those and go, Oh, maybe I should pick up some flour. I don't keep that around. And then learn things like certain dry goods probably should stay in the freezer or can for a long time in order to minimize the amount of bugs that could get in them. Learn how to store all that stuff properly. But have at least one cookbook. The nice thing about that, especially when you got younger kids, if you're in those situations, one of the distractions could be that, as we call it, making it from scratch, from basic ingredients, you can make a cake or cookies or macaroni or, or you know, soup, whatever, and the kids can help you out. Maybe it's going to be a mess, but it'll be a distraction to keep them busy and keep them happy. But that being said, the biggest thing is if you don't already know how to cook or know how to make things from scratch, you don't really cook on your own, you eat out, you do instant meals, you have a hard time making, uh, you know, easy Mac start now and get a cookbook and start learning how to cook things, watch a cooking show, figure out how to cook meat properly, what the cuts of meats are, how to use spices, how to cook vegetables properly how to cook them in cast iron versus stainless steel versus a grill versus an open fire versus a barbecue. Those things become invaluable when you really need them. But more importantly, if you go camping and you never go camping, when I see people go camping the first time or the first time in 30 years, the difference between happiness and not happiness tends to be the food. And it's helpful when they have somebody there that can cook. I've cooked for a lot of people a lot of times and made them very happy because I know how. And they don't. So cooking is a useful skill. It makes things taste better, and it's good to know how to do that. One of the things I don't like, especially when it comes to prepping, when I'm learning stuff from people, whether I'm watching a video or I'm talking to them, is when they tell me what I don't need. I try not to do that. Just make sure that whether it's a friend or it's a book or it's YouTube, it doesn't matter what it is, when you're learning something, especially like this, a lot of times you're going to hear them tell you what you don't need. What they're really telling you is what they don't need. Now, a lot of times when they tell you what you need, they're telling you what they believe they need, which may be right for them. Now, it's true. There's certain amounts of water you need, especially to stay alive. There's a certain amount of food you should probably have on hand as starting points, all of which vary a little bit. Just pick one and go with it. But figure out for yourself, what do I need? I'm trying to give you good ideas and tips. You know, told you in the beginning, WD-40 can do a lot of things. But if you don't have something telling you that, that you've documented or learned about, it's not going to do any good to go to Costco and buy a six-pack of WD-40 because then it's just going to be sitting there and you're not going to know how to use it. So my suggestion is always learning knowledge, expanding growth, learning something new every day about whatever subject you're passionate in, especially if it's prepping. You know, If you took one week and all you did is learn 25 ways to use WD-40, you'd probably never forget most of them. It just depends on what works best for you and what way you learn. But don't let people convince you Of what you need or don't need especially when it gets specific there are generalities that are fair you can prep for anything all you want and have all the toilet paper and all the tools and all the gasoline and all the food but if the power goes out and water's not coming in and you didn't save any water you probably made a mistake but it's figuring out well how much water do you need you know what way do you need to filter water what way works for you You know, if it comes down to $500 and you can spend $500 on a couple of fancy water filters versus $500 that could store a whole shit ton of water, the question is, which one's better for you? You know, if you've got a lake or a river sitting outside and you can store small amounts of water, probably the filter is the better situation there. Whereas if you don't have a water source and you have to make a lot of effort to get it, then perhaps getting the water over time, using something like sodium hypochlorite is something that's going to, Keep that water sanitized because there are mixtures of sodium hypochlorite done correctly. The water can stay safe to drink for up to five years. If stored in a brand new container, then perhaps that's the situation. You have to figure out why does one thing make sense versus another? What's the pro or con? Where's my priority? And yes, for those that don't know, water can last that long. Why? Because the water doesn't go bad. It doesn't expire. It doesn't have a shelf life. There is no such thing. Water does become contaminated though. So one of the things I always recommend to people when you're going to start storing water long-term is you get the brand new water container meant for water and you clean and sanitize it with bleach. There's tons of websites to tell you how to do it. And you get stuff like sodium hypochlorite. If you want to spend the money, you can buy little tubes of it on Amazon for like $15, $20. That one little squirt bottle is good for like 55 gallons and it's like 12, gar- 12 drops for two ga- I don't remember what it is. But you can buy that stuff and you just actually mix it with tap water. You can filter the water out too. Put the lid on it, and you can drink it up for five years later. Now, I ran an experiment on this when I bought a new set of water jugs. It was a long time ago, and I bought, I think I bought 12 or 16. I think I bought 12 jugs. They were, I think, two-and-a-half-gallon jugs. So I went through and marked them all and filled them up, and it was like March or May of one year and dated them. And then every six, it was every six months, I think, or every year, every nine months. Anyway, I made it last over five years, whatever what math was on it. I tested the water using different test methods, such as pool strip tests to see conditional water. I had this digital tester I have that tells you about levels of things in water, like tap water. It's the one I got, I think, from Berkey or somewhere. I used another testing method I had, another strip method thing that was very old that I don't think you can find anymore. I would test them and then I would smell it. I would of course look at it, I'd pour it in a clear glass. I would put some in my mouth. After I did all the testing to where I knew it was safe, I just wanted to go through, what does it look like? Is it cloudy, am I storing it well? How does it smell? Then I'd drink it, I'd let my dog drink it and the thing was, it was supposed to last up to five years but I still did it every however many months. And then the last one I used, I used it just over six years. And it was the first time it smelled a little off. Like it smelled like stale water, but it tested fine. It didn't taste fresh, but it wasn't bad. Nothing happened to me. There was nothing in it. But it made me realize the five years was probably a safety buffer. But you can buy that stuff. Sodium hypochlorite, they have it pre-mixed in little tubes. They sell them on Amazon. It's like 12 over 20 bucks or something and so you can use those to sanitize that water so even if you live in an apartment and you can afford to get say two five gallon water jugs for 10 gallons of water and if you had to make that water stretch and you had other ways to clean yourself you realize if it's just you you could probably make that last a month if you really really stretched it no problem you could go buy that sodium hypochlorite you could put it in there you could date it and then say you got to to be safe so you got to four years go water the plants or something and refill them again but you'd know you'd have that water and be good and you wouldn't have to worry about it so to recap i just want to point a few things out expirations dates live on a lot of things make sure you learn when they matter when they don't bleach does not last very long food lasts a lot longer medications vary by medication but it's important to know medications some medications will last a lot longer but lose their medical effectiveness just like there's foods that will last longer in a can but lose their nutritional value you can make bleach from sodium hypochlorite books are important but don't just get books on great prepper knowledge if you're not going to use it gets ones with pictures gets one telling you how to use regular household stuff 50 ways to use duct tape whatever it is in fact a great book called don't forget the duct tape it's a little three by five book very cool it's like seven dollars five dollars on amazon great little book in fact, I'll throw some links in the show notes. If you're still listening, I'm going to throw some links in the show notes. It's through my Amazon affiliate thing. I don't think I've ever made any money, but I'll throw some links in there for some, a good list of books on these subjects that I, I think are good and look through them and see which ones you think would be good for you. Some are going to be planning books on how to start preparing over the long term. Some are going to be focused on specific subjects. Some are going to be focused on very general topics. I'll put a few in there for you for those who are getting into this new and you want to look at a few things and say maybe you want to start building a library. Make sure you shop around, though. Don't just buy it on Amazon because it's there unless you know that's the best price you can get or you live in a place where you can't just you know run over to Barnes & Noble if they still exist and see what they got. But knowledge is power. Realize that water doesn't go bad or spoil. It just gets contaminated. It's about how you store it. You, know, you can make the stuff with the sodium hypochlorite for it. Make sure you have distractions, things that can be fun, that can keep you distracted from just the overall change in the situation that can cause depression even if it's not meant to. A lot of people went through big changes. People are being diagnosed with PTSD because the effects the pandemic had on them because they lost their jobs, sometimes their businesses, relationships had a hard time, money was short, bills not getting paid, hard to get food, can't go places. It was very hard on some people And for some people, it wasn't hard at all. It affected everybody differently. So have those distractions in place to mitigate those as much as you can to make people happy. And in the same way, you want to keep distractions like games or books or color crayons, whatever you want to use. Another thing too is to have special treats in your food pile. Ones you'll probably have to check on, but you know what? Things like hard candies and gum, they, you know, if you ever kept any as a kid for a long time, you know they don't last forever. But even having a little bit of that just so that, You know, if the power's out for two weeks, all of a sudden we have a special treat after dinner and everybody gets a caramel or everybody gets to chew some gum. Having that little bit of sugar in that special treat makes it special and it makes it for a distraction. So consider all those options and everything else I said. If you're definitely looking to uh, pay for instruction, but money is not just laying around, prioritize the subjects and specific areas. If you know them, you want professional training in, prioritize them top to bottom on where you want to start. And listen to that other podcast about how to get the best training experience so you have a better way to approach the subject when you start looking for instructors to make sure you're getting your money's worth because a lot of people out there charge money on training and prepping subjects in the same general price range some of them are terrible and have no idea what they're doing and some of them are awesome so depending on where you are makes a big difference in how you can find out and like i'll tell you in that podcast Take reviews as a grain of salt. Even people that your best friend tells you went through this training and how awesome it was, have them explain to you everything they learned and have them try to show you as much as they can. You might be able to figure out by those descriptions. It's a rave review because they spent their money. They expected to have a good time. They had a good time learned all this new stuff they knew nothing about. But it actually wasn't worth the money. It just seemed like it was because they didn't know any better. So make sure you check that stuff out. Check out the show notes. I'll throw a few links in there for some books to get you started. If you want to start building your library that I think might help you out. If you like this episode, don't forget to give us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using, and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at. And don't forget to check out the show notes and check out DMRpublications.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.